Hello, and welcome to the Cersei Institute Podcast Network. This is The Mason Jar with Cindy Rollins. I'm David Kern, and in just a second, I'll be sending you over to Cindy's interview with Megan Hoyt. Megan is the author of A Touch of the Infinite, Studies in Music Appreciation with Charlotte Mason, and she's the moderator of the music section on the Ambleside Online Forum. I think you'll find this interview on composer study and music study a really valuable and insightful resource. But first, I want to say thank you to everyone who's been listening to this show and to the Cersei Podcast Network in general. Um, we hope you'll help us spread the word about this sh- about this show. Tell your friends. Head over to iTunes and leave a review if you would. Um, and definitely make sure you're subscribed either to the Mason Jar feed on iTunes or Stitcher or to the network's feed in general. That's super helpful. It helps us have an understanding of how many listeners we actually have and uh, helps us as we look to add more shows and content all free of charge to you. So um, if you could head over and do that, we would uh, really appreciate that. Um, of course, also be on the lookout for a new Mere Motherhood Facebook group, which should be up soon. So come join the conversation over there. All you'll have to do is head over to Facebook, type in the search bar, Mere Motherhood, and that should come up. And uh, I think we're going to have lots of really good conversation there. Great place to ask your questions um, for future podcast question and answers. And of course, if you haven't signed up for the Mere Motherhood email newsletter yet, make sure you head over to meremotherhood.com or circeinstitute.com to do so. Every month, Cindy brings a brief reflection on a specific topic, such as in January, um, kicking off the new year and New Year's resolutions. Um, And then she follows that up with a series of relevant resources. Sometimes there's a poem of the month in there. Sometimes there's one of her favorite recipes, Um, things like that. I think you'll really enjoy that. And um, of course, it brings Cindy's trademark trademark wit with it. Um, Okay, so with that business out of the way, let's get you over to Cindy and Megan. As I said, Megan is the author of A Touch of the Infinite, Studies in Music Appreciation with Charlotte Mason. She stumbled upon Charlotte Mason's principles 20 years ago and is now a part of a collection of veteran educators who provide educational support for teachers and administrators through books, retreats, and one-on-one mentoring. She teaches writing to middle school and high school students and works as a freelance writer in, in addition to her work over at the Ambleside Online Forum. She has a BA in English and History with a lifetime teaching certificate and an MA in Theology. Hildegard's Gift, her first picture book about medieval composer Hildegard of Bingen, was released in 2014 with Paraclete Press. She lives in Charlotte, North Carolina, with her husband, three furry pups, and a parrot. Now, normally, we would have run this at the end of the month. We run our interview episodes of the Mason Jar at the end of the month, but we had to flip it around a little bit. So no, no worries. We're still going to bring you a Q&A episode. It's just swapped this month. So we brought uh, this one a little bit closer to the middle of the month than normal. Um, and of course, this is a short month, of, you know, it being February, so gets things thrown off a little bit anyway. But with that, here is Megan Hoyt and Cindy Rollins. We're here today with Megan Hoyt. Megan is uh, actually uh, somebody I've, I've met in real life, so that's always fun to talk to someone you, you've seen and you know. She grew up backstage at the Dallas Symphony where her parents played violin and viola and her dad was a symphony librarian. She fell in love with classical music because it was part of normal life for her. She homeschooled her four children and now two have graduated from music schools, Berkeley College of Music and the Boston Conservatory. Megan has been a free, freelance writer off and on for the past 15 years, primarily for large nonprofits. She holds a bachelor's in English and history from Southern Methodist University and a master's in theology from Regent University. But her dearest love is writing for children. 
Her first book, picture book, Hildegard's Gift, was released in 2014 with Paraclete Press, and today we're going to be talking to her about her her book, A Touch of the Infinite, and um, you can find her books um, um, under her name, Megan Elizabeth Hoyt, if you have trouble looking for them under Megan Hoyt. But um, welcome, Megan. It's so happy to ha- I'm so happy to have you here today. <laughs> Thank you. Now, we always have a standard first question that we ask uh, when we have guests on. And, and, and you, did, you did homeschool using Charlotte Mason's uh, principles. Is that correct? Yes, all the way through. Okay. So what, how did you hear about Charlotte Mason? That's the, our main question we ask. <laughs> well, this was funny. I started, um, let's see, my kids are very close in age. So it was difficult using what I call canned curriculum because I had so many workbooks, they were just really intimidating. So I thought, I'll just get some composition books, I'll read to them, and we'll just have them color and write and talk about um, what we're reading. I didn't know that was a thing. Then I went online and found some Yahoo groups, just groups of homeschoolers, and they started talking about what I was doing. They said, this is a Charlotte Mason method, you know, basically. I was reading great books, and we were talking about them afterwards. What made you decide to write a book about composer study, Megan? um, That's one of those areas where, um, you know, you don't see a lot of resources, really. Yeah, I learned a lot of home educators really didn't have the same background knowledge to draw from when it came to composers that I just happened to have because of my parents. So I had begun speaking on the topic at conferences over the years, and everybody would come up afterwards and say, oh, I just am so ignorant. I don't know anything about this. I grew up listening to pop music or, you know, they might know hymns because of church, but they they just gave me these blank stares, and I thought, well, this is something I can help with because of my background. Just in my family, it just came naturally to me, um, and they didn't want to have to do all the research for it. And you know, composer study became that extra thing that you might add if you have time, but could definitely leave out if you didn't. And so lots of people were leaving it out, and it had so blessed our lives with my own children that I just really wanted to help others. Also, it helped them with math, and learning an instrument helps with the habit of attention, and just I didn't want people to miss out on that. And I felt like, you know, there's something I could do. (laughs) And also, I started reading some of the books Charlotte Mason used in her curriculum, and that um, made a big difference, too. Okay, um, so you said it help, helped with math. Is, is that is? Do you feel like there's a connection? I know I've heard research that insinuates that, but you you feel like that is true that um, work, uh, listening to good music, or st- is it studying good music? How how does that work with math? My daughter actually struggled with math to the point where I thought she had some sort of learning disability, and she was begging to play the violin. So I thought, well, this composer study is great. We're learning a lot. Uh, I put them in a choir, a church choir, and they were learning how to read music. And she started playing the violin, and that helped incredibly. She was having to count the rhythms and 
um, you know, actually reading that you use your brain in so many different ways when you're reading music. You have to know where your fingers go on the instrument as your eyes are tracking with the notes and you're counting out the rhythm at the same time. So it's pretty complicated and it's very mathematical. Right, right. And they say, really, they say music is a language. And, and I know language has um, some overlap there when you learn a language. You have that um, symbiotic. I think many subjects work that way. There's some kind of symbiotic relationship that makes, uh, if you're good at one or, or, or you're learning one, it helps you learn the other one better. And I, I think Charlotte Mason kind of tapped into that a little bit when she talked about the science of relations. Definitely. So you started to write this book. So what happened? How did, how did this happen, the book writing? Uh, well, I, I started blogging, and then I thought, I should just put all this together in a book. So I sat down and started, you know, gathering research and things. And then all of a sudden, it was like, I don't know, several weeks to several months of just the Holy Spirit unloading on me. I'd be driving somewhere and a flood of new ideas about Charlotte Mason's methods and music would just pour over me. Like I would have to pull over and write this down. Um, or I'd be sitting on the toilet and something would come to me and I'd be like, ah, I need a notebook in the bathroom. I got to write this down. It was just a wave of knowledge would just sweep across me. And these just didn't even seem like my ideas. Maybe I prepared the soil by knowing what was in the volumes and knowing music just from my past. But this is just something I never experienced. And so I titled the book A Touch of the Infinite because the Holy Spirit just basically touched me so profoundly that any other name seemed wrong. This wasn't really even written by me. It felt like a supernatural download. And um, I mean, it's full of factual information, but the way God took Charlotte Mason's ideas and showed me how his spirit moves within the hearts of the composers and within the heart of a child was just really profound. I, and I knew I had to share it. And I just, and I thought I wouldn't have enough information for an actual book based on what I had blogged on in the past. You know, I was a little concerned. Am I going to have to stretch this out? I've never written a Charlotte Mason type instructional book or anything. Um, but just it kept coming and coming like <laughs> God wanted this stuff to be, I guess, out there for people. So what was so you're you're doing all this? You have this relationship going on where you have this knowledge, and God's bringing it back to your memory, and you're, you're it's all coming together. But what was the most surprising thing you discovered when you began reading the books um, Charlotte Mason used in her program? So you actually went back and looked at Charlotte what Charlotte Mason was doing as you were writing your book. Yes, that was one of the first things I wanted to do is just find out what did she have them read. You know, because she wasn't um, that forthcoming in the volumes. It's mentioned a few places, but um, all we really knew to do from her writing was to listen to six pieces by a composer each term. And everybody was kind of, okay, we're, we're doing that, so that's enough, right? Well, then I found out um, somebody had published her actual programs online, and I can't even remember now where I found them to give them credit. But I had downloaded them, so they were on my computer, and I went through and chose all the books that related to music and made a list and started looking for them to purchase them. Well, of course, a lot of them I couldn't find, but a few of them I did. 
And when I read them, I thought, oh, these aren't just living biographies of the composers. They're also filled with musical terms and history. And um, the students would, they would learn about a composer. And then within that story of his life and his work, they would learn a few terms like concerto or fugue or formata or something. And then um, they would also have been required to sight read and they would learn by high school how to transpose music into a different key and how to write music um, that's sort of reflective of the composer they're studying. Like in their exams, they would probably not tell senior in high school, so don't be too worried, but it would be um, for, to narrate, um, write a piece in the style of Bach. Okay. Wow. Um, I don't know about you, but I can't do that. <laughs> so, so that that is quite amazing. Yeah. That is unbelievable. I know. So, um, and also she tied the composer to the time period in history and also to the place where he lived. So it was just a unique thought to me that we could be studying composers based on their region as well. You know, and and they definitely compose their music in different places. Like some would be in a cottage overlooking the sea or in an alpine location um, or in a tropical place. Puccini, I know, went out to a lake and sometimes would just row out onto the lake in a boat and write. So that kind of... Um, comes through in the music if you really pay attention you might need to close your eyes and listen carefully but you can almost smell the earth or the gardenias or whatever and, and picture the colors and the beauty in some music when you listen to it I'm thinking um of Grieg's Pier Gint maybe um yeah. as an example and if you look at where he lived and where he wrote and just get that background from a book ahead of time or even online you can google that um, then listen to the music, it has a whole different impact. I mean, a stronger impact. So anyway, I just, I started reading all these books and I realized, wow, this is way more than I ever did. And my youngest is now 20 and it's too late, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> I just felt so bad. But then um, my daughter moved in with us this past year with her four children. And so I have a whole new batch. <laughs> I've got six and younger um, living here. So we're still doing composer study and it's all great. Yeah, I know that's so, that's so often the way it happens. I mean, when I thought I was done homeschooling, I, it kind of hurt me that I was done because I enjoyed it so well. So I got rid of a lot of stuff. I just like got it out of the house, got rid of it. Now I kept, you know, a lot of living books because of course I couldn't mm -hmm. bear to part with, part with my whole library. But then the Lord just was kind of laughing, I think, because here I was, I had, I still had more people to homeschool and more more uh, work to do amongst homeschoolers, and I so regret getting rid of. <laughs> I did the stuff. same thing with little picture books. <laughs> yeah, and here you. This is such a wonderful point you make. And now, looking at your book, when I heard you say that regret, my at first, my first thought was, oh, I have that regret too. I want to go back and do composer study. But then my second thought is, oh, I get to. I have a student, and we are doing composer study. So I'm going to make sure that I really, really glean from your book everything uh, I possibly can so that I have no more regrets. Yay. <laughs> now, in all those books you were reading from that time and Charlotte Mason and her ideas, was there any book that, that you felt uh, covered, encapsulated the whole of, of music study that, from that perspective? 
Yeah, there was one book um, by Cedric Glover called The Terms Music, and this was actually a collection of all sorts of articles from the Parents Review. And um, I think also from what they had been doing in Parents Union schools, um, they had um, just sort of bound it as a hardcover copy of everything that they believed Charlotte Mason's methods for home, for um, teaching composer study and music would have been. So, of course, I couldn't find a copy of that. But the lovely Anne White of Ambleside Online, it's on the advisory there, she mm -hmm. did have a copy, and she let me borrow it. So that was very exciting. I kept it for as long as I finally felt, you know, okay, this is, like, way too long and embarrassing. And then I finally <laughs> mailed it back to her. But uh, it was really enlightening. And you, you felt like, okay, now I know exactly what she would have wanted because this was from the parents' review. This was what they did at the actual time in their school. So that was exciting. But so I, do you know what they, I mean, do, can you tell us what they did? I mean, do you know what they did? Yeah, and I put an excerpt or two in the book too. Um, here's a quote from um, from Glover on what just the lesson should look like, you know, organizationally, I suppose. At least one quarter of the time available should be devoted to ear training. That was new to me. Ear training is like sight reading and learning the notes. After the ear training exercises are completed, a short space of time should be devoted to acquainting the pupils with the rudiments of music, the meaning of the commonest musical terms, the instruments of the orchestra, and such like. Attention should be focused chiefly on such things as the historical growth of the different musical forms, the evolution of the orchestra, and the keyboard instruments. The remainder of the time available should be devoted to studying the composer of the term. The remainder of the time. I was like, that's all yeah. I was doing, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so we, we're using the remainder of the time that they were using for all the All of it, yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's interesting. So, so were the like say were the teachers that were trained at the PNEU or, or at the uh, Ambleside College, were they trained in ear training? Because now my son uh, picked up ear ear training. My oldest son, when he was growing up, by a teacher, he had taught him chords, and after that, he just he could just hear anything and play it on the piano. But then he later he had a teacher who was very strict and made him you know follow the music much much more closely. But I'm curious, you know, I, I wouldn't ha ha have any clue how to go about training someone's ear. Yeah, I think there's a hint in one of um, the volumes, and I don't know where this is, but um, she says what would be best is if the music study was interspersed in the entire curriculum. But mm. since this is generally not possible because the teachers aren't trained in it, at least have a music teacher come in once a week. And okay. so they would okay. have someone who was knowledgeable come in. But it sounds like her ideal in her head would have been that everyone had the musical expertise needed to just include it as you go through history or geography or something. Wouldn't that be great? But Oh, I, I just can't imagine. I mean, it goes along with the whole idea of short lessons and, and, and interspersing like mm -hmm. – uh, 
uh, Lynn Bruce talks about a lot, the riches yes. and, and Wendy, Wendy Capehart, putting them throughout the day. So you're in the middle of your history lesson and you learn a little ear training or some musical terms or something um, of that sort to, to, to break up the day. But you don't just do it once. Maybe you do it three or four times. But it doesn't sound day. like she actually managed that yeah, in their no. schools. So, I mean, don't freak out that we aren't either. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, no, and and we can't freak out too much because you know we're all we're taking her words and we're each you know we're doing we have a, we have a lot available to us now and a lot of people interpreting her words to us. So I think sometimes we're just kind of doing the best we can in some areas, working out our own salvation, you could say, as we try to you know to raise our kids. Yeah, exactly. And work with them on these things that are sometimes beyond us. But but I I always love composer study. But basically in our house, it came down to reading a few biographies here and there and listening every morning, um, you know, to, to, to have uh, the composer's works playing in the background and then here and there, you know, talking about the works. And, and, and that's really all I did. But I did it over a long period of time, which is my, always my um, thing I hold on to. So. And that's wonderful. Uh, and it's great that you manage that because when you look at it, when you have a lot of children like, well, I compared to you don't, but I had four. And it's hard enough to fit all those different levels and all those different subjects in. So I felt pretty successful. It's just when I read how much more there was, I thought, oh, if only I had known, I could have aspired to that. But who knew? I didn't know these books even existed. And when I found them, it was much later. Yeah. So there was a bit more than we all thought to composer study. And... um, um, do you have things from Charlotte Mason that speak to that? That um, do you did you, were you able to put together um, how she not just the ear training and the music, but how she actually went about studying the composer? Um, well, she turned that over to whatever music teachers were there. This wasn't her area of expertise, but she talked a lot about her method, and that included the habit of attention, and that includes listening skills. So one thing I know is in parents and children, she talked about how little children need to learn how to listen to develop their hearing so that later they'll be able to distinguish the different musicians, I mean, the different instruments in an orchestra or, you know, um, just how to hear the notes and follow them and sing them and match them and things like that. So here's one thing she said, a quick and true ear is another possession that does not come by nature or anyway, if it does, it is too often lost. How many sounds can you distinguish in a sudden silence out of doors? Let these be named in order from the less to the more acute. Let the notes of the birds be distinguished, both call notes and song notes, the four or five distinct sounds to be heard in the flow of a brook. I don't know, when I listen to a bubbling brook or whatever, I don't hear four or five different sounds in just that one thing. So she's wanting to train kids really early to listen carefully. Right. And, and actually, that doesn't sound too difficult because we, when we went to the Nature Center a couple of uh, years or so ago, that is one thing they had us do. They had everybody have take a piece of paper, and then as you heard a sound, and it was complete silence, and then as you heard a sound, you were supposed to draw a line to represent that sound so that a different kind of line for each kind of sound. So, you know, a wavy line or a spiky line or a, just a line. 
but our double line. But it, it was amazing as you sat there quietly how many sounds you did hear. Now, we didn't get so far as to distinguish, you know, if there were different levels to the same sound. But, you know, if we saw a bird or we heard a cricket or, or even just the grass rustling, um, and, and I think that would be an easy exercise that any of us could do. Sure, this is something we that. can actually do. Yes, I like this. <laughs> yes, here's another quote. She says, um, um, let's see, the quiet place is full of many sounds, and you ask yourself how could it, how you could have been there without hearing them. That just shows you how hearing may sleep at his post. Keep him awake and alive. Make him try to hear and know some new sound every day without any help from sight. It is rather a good plan to listen with shut eyes. That's from ourselves. Mm. So, okay. yeah, we should be training him to listen as well as just see. Now, now you were really gifted in music yourself, um, but people are different. Um, do, you, do you have any thing to say to that? I mean, um, how we are different, we have different gifts. And how we can go about, you know, working on that? Well, definitely. And I wouldn't say that I'm all that musically gifted, actually. I taught my son one song on the guitar. And then he went online and figured out how to play all these different things. He does different tunings of the strings. I mean, I don't even know what he, what all he can do, but it's he's far surpassed. The student has way surpassed the teacher. I was just like a very intermediate level guitar player and piano player. But um, what I meant was, um, I feel like if you're more administrative and organized, um, you can plan out a composer study lesson really carefully and set everything up in advance and maybe even have narration prompts ready, even though um, that's not perfectly necessary. Um, But sometimes it's important to go with the flow, too, and just pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is directing as you go along, because sometimes our um, natural giftedness might actually hinder because, well, in my case, I think I kind of went overboard on music, maybe to the neglect of some other subjects, such as, let's say, math. But um, that's just (laughs) not my area. I mean, they all passed and everything, and they all, you know, they got into college, so we're good. But um, if you are administrative and you're trying to be more... um, purposeful, I guess, about your composer study, you might um, find that things just opportunities just show up like, oh, I didn't know there was going to be a concert in the park and they're playing Dvorak and our composer this term is Beethoven. Um, Well, it's still worthwhile to go hear Dvorak in the park, isn't it? So you have to kind of just toss it aside for the sake of growing their ear and their enjoyment of classical music because I always love a park concert. Um, so I don't know if you're not gifted ne- necessarily in the area of music, um, which I think you can build that into yourself, but um, as an adult, it's kind of late in the game and a little bit difficult. You could also put your children in a local choir or if your church has a choir, some don't cause we sometimes like we go to a, a church that has contemporary worship and they don't have a choir. Um, But we found a local choir and that choir was chosen to sing as a children's chorus in an opera. So our kids got to be in an opera, which was really amazing. I mean, like a fancy 
stage production where they imported sets from Italy and their costumes were all amazing. It was pretty cool. And that's where our daughter fell in love with opera. And um, I could tell because I found her crouched on her knees underneath a speaker backstage crying as she listened to the soprano sing before she was to go on stage. She was just sitting there. The other kids were playing cards in the green room and my daughter was on the floor in a bucket of tears (laughs) over the music. And she ended up majoring in vocal performance and has, in fact, just this past weekend, had her professional opera debut in in an actual solo role in an opera La Traviata here with Opera Carolina. So that was exciting. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. So she definitely had that in her heart and, and it's, and it's come out at her. Um, and, and that's what she's taken away from, from all the, the yeah. opportunities she had. So just and, and, be open yeah. to whatever comes to your town or whatever, you know, uh, you can't always know in advance, I guess. So look for it. Right. Are there are there certain composers that if you don't know a lot about composers that you that you think are good places to start? Oh, definitely. Um, a lot of people start with children's songs, like they just look for any composer who's written for children. But I like to start with Rossini because he wrote the William Tell Overture. You know, that's that's always fun. But he also wrote a song called Concerto for Two Cats. And here are the words. Meow. Meow. It's really cool. Like the whole thing is cats meowing. And so you get their attention. And they're learning classical music, but it's fun. And they get to be cats and dress up if they want and run around the house pretending they're cats while they listen. It's you know, it doesn't get much better than that. And then Prokofiev, of course, has right. Peter and the Wolf. So if you start with those two, I think that's that's a great beginning. One of the cool things when at the very end, when I had still had some younger children, but my older pe- my older kids were growing up. Netflix had the Leonard Bernstein um, Young People's Concerts that they did in the 1950s and 60s. And those were really, really good. And I think I heard that meow thing um, in that. Um, I'm not quite sure, but I remember um, um, that. And I, I, I really think I saw some of those concerts at school uh, on a on a films on a film when I was a child. So they they really resonated with me as interesting uh, uh, children's videos. But I, nowadays, I don't. Maybe they're on YouTube. I'm not sure where where you would find them. Oh, so much so, is on so, YouTube. It's great. Yeah. So. So where would you start um, with a, with a compose with the actual composer study lesson? Um, or what well, would you do? Well, now, I mean, what I would do now is different because I didn't know what I was doing before, evidently. <laughs> <laughs> because oh. a music lesson has several different components. But um, what I would do now, and what I am doing, uh, is beginning by singing the folk song of the term. Um, mm-hmm. And I just follow Ambleside Online's um, choices for that. I don't really know a lot about folk songs, it turns out. I just... I guess that's something that fell by the wayside a little bit for me. Um, so that's always fun, and kids like fun, right? <laughs> right, so, right. Um, nursery rhymes, nursery songs, um, something with hand motions, that's always good to capture their attention. You know, I was listening to your interview with the poet, 
was it Sally Thomas? Oh, Sally Thomas, yeah. Yeah, yeah. A few days ago, I was listening to that, and I guess I'm a little bit behind on my podcast. I don't know when you interviewed her. But I noticed she was talking no, about... that was no- our last one. Oh, good. Okay. I noticed she was talking about nursery rhymes and rhythm, and she mentioned yeah. the music of poetry. And Charlotte Mason mentioned that, too. She talked about learning nursery songs, bouncing on nursey's lap. And, of course, we don't have a nurse in our homes. Would that we had nannies that we could just say, here, go learn nursery rhymes. But um, I think that these days a lot of people skip learning folk songs and nursery rhymes. Like, I don't know, just my kids' friends, um, I noticed, didn't know Mother Goose at all. And I thought that was weird because I had taught it to my kids, but I guess not everybody does. So um, for the very young, you start out by – teaching them rhythm through these little nursery songs and you know in the UK of course in Charlotte Mason's time especially their minds would have been full of national folk songs and it kind of makes you a part of your culture as well this is part of the oral tradition passed down through the ages and they have a a longer history than us so I think that would have been an important first step Um, but after that when they're a little older, they would learn a little bit of sight reading and reading the notes on the staff and matching notes that you play on the piano just to sort of strengthen their ear. That's the ear training part. But as far as composers, um, you would read one of the books she recommended, or for us today, there are lots of, um, you know, Opal Wheeler has books, um, you know, living books on the composers and Oh, gosh, there's so many picture books as well. And you could read those. And it's helpful to, like, for example, if you're studying Bach, you might want to learn what a minuet is because he wrote minuets. And maybe, uh, I know when I was six or seven learning piano, I had this book called Bach for Beginners, and I could actually play a minuet or two. So I don't think they're that hard or they can, you can work towards that. I know the Opal Wheeler books, and my, my student really loved these last year. I read We did um, um, Beethoven, and they had a lot of um, – Opal Wheeler put in a lot of excerpts from the music, and she would say to the kids, you know, in the book, go, go um, now you might want to try to play this. And the, I thought it was kind of interesting because she fully expected the children to have, have some music in their life and to be playing some music. And um, and my student could only play a little bit, but he he always tried to do that. And he lo- and we would always listen to when we couldn't play the, the little piece, we would always go on to YouTube and listen to it. And um, and, and, and that way, I think I mentioned this before, but he fell in love with the uh, runaway penny song of uh, Beethoven and, and constantly asked me, play that on YouTube, play that on YouTube. <laughs> I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's just because we rarely get on YouTube and that made it extra special, but he fell in love with that piece of music. And um, so I really love Opal Wheeler. So with me, that's kind of where I always started with any any Opal Wheeler. If I had an Opal Wheeler book, then we did that composer. Um, And um, then you can, they could, if they don't have a piano nearby, they could sing it, you know, can you sing that little phrase? And then um, there's that, now, this is funny. Benjamin Britten wrote uh, Child's Introduction to the Orchestra. I think that's what it's called. Right. But he, in that, he used a piece, a little excerpt that was written by someone else, Henry Purcell. 
So we, we're, li- we're doing Britain right now, and we're listening to that to learn the instruments of the orchestra, or at least the groups. These are the woodwinds. These are the brass instruments, you know. And, um, but the kids are learning this song as well, this phrase, but it's not Britain. It's Purcell. I don't know why he didn't choose one of his own phrases. That's funny. But um, I guess we'll have to add in Purcell <laughs> to our study. But in that phrase... Um, there's a there's a little bit that repeats. I wish I could play it for you. Just um, look up Charles' introduction to the orchestra. But you could have one student sing the phrase and then another student sing it in a little bit different key. And just like four or five notes. And that's part of the lesson too. And it's kind of fun right. to do. So I guess if they really, I mean, and I highly recommend uh, Megan's book. Your book is very helpful. It has, it's, it's a pretty thick book. It has lots of resources. It has tons of appendixes for help, extra help. It has um, recommendations. It, it, it's just a wonderful book. It has Charlotte Mason's terms, a few example of her terms, what they sang, what they, this, and it's quite extensive. So um, so, and I'm looking here at one of her terms, and uh, so they they had three 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 composers for the year for the year, and then they had some books that they were reading about them, and then here they have learned nine French songs, nine German songs, nine English songs. Um, that's quite exciting. I mean, it seems like I don't, I can't imagine us doing nine French and nine German songs in a year, but maybe every once in a while learning a a song in another language. Um, it's a little, I know at Christmas we like to try Latin, Latin songs, but there's, so there's way more to, um, your book covers all of this. Um, and, and you even have a chapter on, and we've talked about this with, um, Heather, um, the selfish and yeah. the, the self-allow. I think that's um, my weakest of- chapter. I didn't really know a whole lot about that, honestly. <laughs> but I tried yeah. to include it because it was an important facet of her music education. So- right, and you can point people in the right direction. Yeah. So, um, so this is an excellent book. It's truly, truly, uh, it's a beautiful cover. I love your cover. What is the picture on the cover? It looks like, is this your parents? or That your- is my mother. My mother is playing the violin with her sister on the piano and her two brothers on the trombone and the cello. Wow. So when she was little. That's, and it's just very, very pretty uh, book. Now, do you have any... Um, any other words that I, I've missed asking you about that you think we should not, definitely not miss here? Because um, I, I, um, I don't want to leave something out that moms might be sitting home going, but what about that? Um, <laughs> um, well, hmm. I think, gosh, what, I don't want to discourage anyone. I feel like I found so much more information and learned about so many things that I hadn't been doing that it could be discouraging to read the book and say, oh, if as long as I didn't know all those things, I was okay with my homeschool journey. Now, I don't know. I feel a little discouraged. But just adding a little bit at a time, I think, is possible, you know? Like, you don't have to get overwhelmed by it, but just look at it, see it, and include it when you can. It's better than nothing, and I think really... As far as enrichment of your life, which is kind of the point, like God wants us to be blessed. He created music, and it's kind of amazing, don't you think? Like, 
where we've come from where we began in the early days and like all the different instruments and the intricacies and complexity of music. And if you can look at it that way, it's really a gift, a beautiful gift from God. Uh, there's one thing I wanted to talk about that um, I didn't mention yet, and it's just a personal thing. After all those years of homeschooling, you know, you hope that things have sunk in, but you don't always know, especially with this journey with Charlotte Mason. So, um, I mean, not especially, but there are some things that you really cared about and that you wanted them to take away. Well, I went to Boston to my son's songwriting showcase at the Boston Conservatory, and there were, I think, six different composers there um, at the event. And when you listen to his songs, they were very different from the other ones. One of them was based on a Shakespearean sonnet. One was about um, Lancelot, Arthur, and Guinevere. It was adorable. Mm. And and I just I saw this coming out of this deep well within his heart, and I know that it came from his Charlotte Mason education. And I just want to encourage everyone Try to find a way to do this because it's so worth it. And I mean every subject, not just music, really, or composer study, but all these things that we're doing with living books, you think, oh, well, I hope this was the right decision to do the Charlotte Mason thing. But I have adult children, and I can assure you, it comes bursting out of them in the most beautiful ways. And it's just an honor to be able to have participated in that work that the Holy Spirit has done in their lives. It really is. Well, I keep thinking that um, if we fill our minds, like say we read your book and we have all these ideas, but we can't, we're just not quite ready to enact them. I think it it still helps us because then when the natural opportunities arise, we have the knowledge in our head to say, yes, that's an opportunity. We might, we might Then we don't miss as many opportunities when we actually know the plan or what we're shooting for. So, and, and I think that works out with our children too. We fill them with these things and we don't know when the opportunities are going to come for these to, the, to for the, it to flow out of their hearts and affect their lives in some way. And that has um, to do so. with that attending and noticing that we build into them with the habit of attention from early on, right? Like, oh, right, I noticed right. there's this event over here and I remember that composer from year one of whatever, you know, like, it's there. It's in there. It sticks with them. And music is powerful. It really is. Yes, it is. I'm the most unmusical person um, that I, I, I love music, but I, I have no, I'm not a good musician. I'm not a good um, singer, but I still love music. So. Loving it counts. Yeah. So <laughs> that, that's my main uh, thing. I just enjoy it, but I, I don't have the skill, but I still didn't want to stop my children from enjoying it because I didn't have a, a particular talent in that area. And some of my children have are very talented. And I regret that a couple other of them didn't get music lessons because um, you can just see the cer- certain kids are, are, are able to play easily. Their ear, their ear is very attuned to music. So, and, and it is, it all comes down to uh, really education as a way of seeing. And, and the only way we can hear or see is to be attentive. And, and, and I can't help but think so much of this t- even ties into narration. Yes. Um, all, all of it works together. And Charlotte Mason really, um, she really brought together these ideas um, magnificently. 
So, um, well, I, I'll ask you one more quick question, and then we're going to have to go because we don't like these to be too long. <laughs> but uh, And I really have enjoyed listening to this, and, and there is your book out there. But what are you reading right now? Do you have anything in particular? I, and I'm springing this on you, so if your brain is like mine, it just went completely blank. <laughs> but, but do you have anything you're reading right now? Well, it's funny. I've read this before, but I just picked up When Children Love to Learn. It's a collection of different um, essays by different people that Elaine Cooper put together. Elaine is a friend of mine from um, and Randall McCauley. I got to know them a little bit from several years ago. And I don't even remember reading these. It's been like 10 years or whatever. So I just decided to pick that up and reread those articles. I see a lot of, of friends in there. Um, yeah, so, we are reading that in our co-op. Oh, really? Well, co-op, our, our Charlotte Mason yeah, uh, yeah, mom's, your, your mom's group. But I'm yeah. also reading the books that I'm using to teach the kids. And since I hadn't done the early years of Ambleside Online for quite some time, I am reading those again, too. So I'm reading The Jungle Book and uh, what else? Pinocchio, no, not Pinocchio. What's the other one? Oh, Peter Pan. We're just starting okay. Peter Pan. Yeah, <laughs> that I, doesn't I, count. I, that's not for pleasure for me exactly i know the jungle book i haven't read it in a while i'm reading it right now with um my student and i'm surprised at how i mean i'm not i shouldn't be surprised because i already love kipling i love his poetry i love his meter i love mm-hmm. his robustness but um it's such a good book it's yeah. really a good book um, so so well megan it's been wonderful to have you on and now i'm excited i might get to see you in um concord in in march maybe we'll have lunch or i, yes. I doubt we'll have lunch because it's going to be pretty right. pretty busy weekend but it's been so i'm so thrilled that you came on today and i really really appreciate it okay. all right so if you want to get in touch with megan online you can find her at uh, www.themasonmethod.com and you can buy her book there and she has the other book the hildegard of bingham book uh, which is called uh, I, I, I took it to school and i left it because we read it we read it out loud the other day it's hildegard's uh, gift Oh, Hildegard's Gift by Megan Hoyt, Megan Elizabeth Hoyt, um, and you can find that at themasonmethod.com. So thank you so much, Megan, for being here. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Cindy. It's always fun talking to you. <laughs>